Um, this, uh, this finalizes about three weeks talking about the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. Uh, and uh, it's been kind of tough. Uh, we've actually provided for, uh, for up, up through our students and kids, we've provided extra space and extra help at, at Pump It Up. Uh, because if for any parents that are like, okay, this is, I, I don't really want my kids, I don't really, I'm not, I don't know that I want them hearing what Dave has to say about incest right now, uh, or uh, with other things that were, were the, the rough things, homosexual rape, I mean, the things that we talked about last week, I don't know that I want them to, to hear these things before I get a chance to talk to them about it, and we understand that, and if that's where you are, man, that's, that's uh, why we provided that. Um, but but we, uh, we don't want to shrink away from... Um, the realities of the stories uh, that are in the Bible. Um, there's some tough things that are in there. And, and we hit the, the end of the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah today, and we get into Lot and his daughters. And it's some, it's some pretty sordid stuff. It's some things that if you ate a big breakfast this morning, I hope you're able to make it through okay, because it'll turn your stomach when you, when you go through. So we're in Genesis 19. We're going to go through 29 through 38. This morning, um, it starts out, verse 29, So it was that when God destroyed the cities of the valley, God remembered Abraham and sent Lot out of the midst of the overthrow when he overthrew the cities in which Lot had lived. Okay? So we begin there that there is there's destruction that took place. Um, these angels that came, and we believe that one of them was actually the king over all the angels. It was Jesus himself that Abraham spoke with, that Lot spoke with, that Jesus pre-incarnate, before, before he was born, that he was in flesh. And we don't know if he looked like he was going to look later on, but it's, we got King Jesus that's there. He comes in and is a part of the destruction of a city. And this is one of the parts in which if you're one of my friends that's a skeptic or a doubter, maybe agnostic or atheistic, um, that, that you're just like, you know, I, that doesn't sound very loving. You know, I mean, just destroying an entire city. You know, what, what's, what's the deal with that? Where is, where is a loving God in the middle of all that? And, and, and here's, here's my response to you. First of all, God is more than just, just love. He, love comes from God, but God is not just love. Love is attached to grace and is attached to mercy. However, it is also attached to justice. Um, we, we looked before and, and earlier in Genesis 19 when, when it talked about that the reason for this was because the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah had reached the ears of God. Not that God was deaf, not that he, he misses some things, but he, the point was being made dramatically that, that there was so much wickedness, not only within the city, but that there were people just saying, unjust, unjust. There were so many problems. It was so horrific that it, it would have reminded God of what things had gotten to before He destroyed, destroyed the world, all of humanity, in the days of Noah, or maybe even worse. It was horrific. And, and, and go back and listen to the last two teachings if you want more information about just what that, what that looked like. But here's the question for you. 
If, if there are many people that are crying out, maybe they don't even know the God they're crying out to, but they're crying out and just saying, if there's a God, if there's something that's more powerful than these oppressors, than these people who are violating us, if there's something greater than what's going on culturally around me, would you please come and rescue us? Would you please come and help? And I just ask you this. If there was a God that, that knew about these injustices, and people crying out, would it really be loving for that God to turn his head? Would it really be loving for that God to say, you guys just handle it on your own? It's your, it's your bed you sleep in. And I'd say no. God is a God of justice, and, and, and He is... He's, he's merciful. He's gracious. His, his justice that, is, that He brings, I don't think what we want to do is start to, try to, to try to categorize it and say, oh, it was so loving the way that He killed all those people. That's not what I'm saying. But, but there is a God that says, I will not leave things in a state of wickedness, in this horrific state of people violating one another. I'm not going to leave the world as it is I'll come. And, and He comes in different ways. He came in the days of Noah to where He just said, look, I'm going to wipe out all of humanity. And by the way, as we talked about back then, many Christians, uh, maybe majority of Christians believe it was a global flood that covered the entire earth. There, there's uh, plenty of Christians out there that believe it was, it was, it was just a, an area flood that just took care of all of humanity that was around there. It, that doesn't really matter where you land on that, but God wiped out all of humanity. Every man, every woman, every boy and every girl. And sometimes we look and we see, we see tsunamis, we see, we see tornadoes, we see floods, and we see lots of victims. And we look and say, man, is that really loving for a God to do that? And what we've got to do is we gotta, we're right in the middle of the woods. We've got to back away and back away and say, does God actually have the right when He creates and gives birth to a person to also tell when the death date is going to be? Does He have the right if He's really God? And if He does have that right, and for some it may be 80 years, for some it may be half of that, for some it may be a tenth of that or less. Does God actually have the right if He's going to create a person to be the one that says, this is when I'm going to extinguish that life? And I'd say yes, if there's a God, which we believe, the God of the Bible, that He's got that right. Now it looks strange to us when we see a collective pool of deaths, when things happen all at once. It's got incredible ramifications, but honestly though, is it really that different from if those deaths were scattered around 60 or 70 years? Is it really all that different? It's, it's different in our vantage point. But is death imminent and, and does death come anyway? Yes, it does. For every person, death comes. It's going to come. And so God, God has all the right in the world to say if I'm going to create someone, I have the right to say when they're going to die. Second Peter 2 talked uh, a little bit about what took place here and talked a little bit about Lot in here. And... and and honestly, you guys, as I've studied through this, I've been very troubled about Lot. And there's a section in here 
right here that probably troubles me the most when it describes him because I'd like to just totally throw Lot under the bus. The decisions the dude made, the way he raised his family, it's unbelievable the things that he allowed and the way he taught his leadership was unbelievable. And I'm like, how in the world could that guy have been a Christian? How, how, could, they, how could this person, and not a Christian like we are post-Jesus' post resurrection, you know, but I mean, a follower of God by still you. Faith in God makes you, makes you a child of God. And I'm like, how in the world could that guy be one of us? But look at this. And this talks first of all about Sodom and Gomorrah, but then it talks about Lot. Second Peter 2, verse 4. For if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell and committed them to chains of gloomy darkness to be kept until the judgment. If He did not spare the ancient world, but preserved Noah, a herald of righteousness, with seven others when He brought the flood upon the world of the ungodly. If by turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah to ashes, He condemned them to extinction, making them an example of what is going to happen to the ungodly. And if He rescued righteous Lot, greatly distressed by the sensual conduct of the wicked, for as that righteous man lived among them day after day, He was tormenting His righteous soul over their lawless deeds that He saw and heard. Then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials and to keep the unrighteous under punishment unto the day of judgment and especially those who indulge in the lust of defiling passion and despise authority. So God makes some comments in here. We'll, we'll come back to them uh, towards the end just about Lot and his, his righteousness uh, that God, the, God, God uh, describes here. But what's amazing is, is it says that God knows how to rescue the godly, but He also knows how to keep those who would reject Jesus and, uh, un, until their, their day of death as, as well. Um, again, it was Genesis 19.13 where they said the angels headed by Jesus, uh, I, I think, for we are about to destroy this place because the outcry against its people has become great before the Lord. And the Lord has sent us to destroy it. A God who will not bring justice is not a good God. And what God did in revealing what He did to Sodom and Gomorrah is He just gives us a picture of everyone's future. Sodom and Gomorrah, and especially when it talks about fire and brimstone in some versions coming down, which there's actually no, not even a description of what that exactly meant. But if you look at what we talked about last week of just all of the chemicals that, that were found uh, in that area and, and, and how burning sulfur, you know, how things probably ignited chemically and, and it probably, that's, that's what happened and explosions and stuff falling down and, and encasing people and killing people instantly you know, that's probably what, what it meant by this. We do mean, whatever it was, something literally fell from the sky and was a part of killing people. And, it's, and, and that's part of the reason why people talk about hell and fire and brimstone is because they're relating it to Sodom and Gomorrah. And it's, there's good reasons for that because this is to remind us that judgment is coming. This is to remind us that if, 
if we stay in our own wickedness, in our own rebellion against God, and we never come to a place where we completely surrender and ask forgiveness of God, we die under our own righteousness, which the text of Scripture says is absolute filth. Denying God and we are sent away and we experience a judgment. But for those who have a righteousness, and what we'll talk about is the righteousness is not one of yourself and it's, it's not even one in you. It's one that's over you. It's a declaration that you have been per- made perfect, that you, that you are declared perfect even though I'm not. It's Jesus' righteousness that comes over us and and there's some, some here or some listening to this that, that God is going to reveal to you. Either you already know you're not surrendered to Jesus Christ or God's going to reveal to you that you are not surrendered to Jesus Christ. You may be religious, you may be in a part of churches for, for all of your life, but He's going to reveal to you that though you may know biblical or Christian culture, man, you've never come to a place of complete surrender asking forgiveness in Jesus. And God's going to save you. He's going to rescue you. He's going to place His righteousness over. And like He did with Lot, He's going to snatch you from judgment. He's going to snatch you away from the flames. Wow, Dave, I didn't know you were a fire and brimstone preacher. Well, I am today. That's what we've got. We need to be warned. And right here in Huntsville, Alabama, in the heart of Dixie, our southern culture, we've got a lot of religious people. And if you're one of my friends that are religious, but you've never come to faith in Jesus Christ, you've never come to a place where you say, all of it, every bit of it, I surrender to you, Jesus. Then you are standing in your own righteousness, and Sodom and Gomorrah is, is ahead of you. And I'm here to warn you, repent. Repent. Why? The kingdom of God is near. What's the kingdom of God? Jesus. Jesus is near. I say, come to Jesus. Come to Jesus right now. You don't even have to wait until I get to the end of the sermon. Right now, boom. Surrender to Jesus right now. And I think really as we think about, as we think about God and judgment and justice, I don't think the question is actually fair for us to say, why would God destroy a city? Or why would God bring judgment on a person? I think the fair question actually should be, why has God not destroyed the world? Why has God not brought judgment? Why is it that God allows for wickedness to continue in me and in others? Why why has God not just continued to use that KJV terminology, smite the world? Why hasn't He done that? Because... Sin and wickedness, it, it's such an offense to a holy God. Why is it? It's because He's patient. And he's, he's merciful on one end towards those that haven't been saved yet. And I, I guarantee this, though. As we think through violators, as we think through the most evil, wicked people, some of you, you've lived with them. They've been in your life. they brought violation to your life. And it happens in our city and in our nation around the world. Horrific crimes. And we ask God, why don't you judge? And, and I'm just here to tell you, God, God will judge. 
God will judge. What needs to happen next? We'll come to that here in the end because it has to do with you and with me. Verse 30, Now Lot went up out of Zoar and lived in the hills with his two daughters, for he was afraid to live in Zoar. So he lived in a cave with his two daughters. Um, so he's escaped. He'd asked the angels, we talked about this last week, asked Jesus and the angels like, please, please, have mercy upon, have mercy upon me. Uh, please just allow me to get away before the destruction happens. I don't think I'm going to make it. Would you please not do it until I get to, to this little city, this little city which had this whole other name, but later on it was known as Little City, Zoar. And he went into the city and for some reason, he didn't stay there. He went to a cave to live. And we don't know exactly what happened. We don't know if, if the people rejected him or if, uh, if he rejected the city. Now listen to me, guys. What we have is we have a pendulum that's just swung from one extreme to the other. We have a man who is afraid of the city. He's seen wickedness and he's gone, he's gone from being inclusive and being a part of a city and letting the, the sin of the city infect his family to swinging to a place of separatism and isolationism. And, and I mean, there's two big extremes that people have when, when looking at this world and the human condition. And, and one, is, one is compromise and you call it liberalism where, where you just become one with the culture and there's, there's, there's no hope in you and, and, and you, you just jump into all of the, the sin, the wickedness, and the traps that everybody else is in. And, and so in some way, I mean, God, what God calls us to is He calls us to both message and to mission. The gospel is, is the message. and he calls, us, he calls us to understand holiness and who God is and the way we're supposed to live. And, but mission is where we is where we connect with people. Where our, our lives intersect with other people. May they be believers or unbelievers, but we're, we're there. And, and what, what liberalism, or, or, or uh, another term for it is syncretism, where you just become a part of, of the culture you're in, you've got mission there. You've got mission, you've got connection, but you've got no message. And that's where Lot had been. He'd been a syncretist. He compromised. He was right in there with the people of the city, but he had no message. We talked about it last week of how his moral compass had gotten away from God and therefore he had no moral authority to the point where when he warned his own sons-in-law, they scoffed at him. He had no credibility. No, he had no moral authority with him. But now he's, he's swinging to the other side of like, well, I don't want to be destroyed again. God may come and take out Zoar. So we're going to go live in this cave and we're just going to separate ourselves from all the wicked people. From all the other, all the other folks. We're going to live in this cave. And there's, there's people, there's, there's people, there are Christians that are on both sides of this where we're over here, man. You got message. You got the fundamentals. What good does it do for light to be collected in one place instead of being out in the middle of the dark? 
Guys, listen, I don't know where you are in this pendulum. Hopefully, I pray, my prayer, and what I'm so proud of is, is that, uh, that, that God is doing amazing work to have a people be gospel-centered and being very missional, take, having both message and mission. But, but analyze it. Are you, are you a separatist over here? Are you a separatist where you've totally disengaged from the people? And man, you got truth. You know the gospel, but who cares? Nobody else is hearing it and nobody else is seeing it. Or are you over here and in your life, man, you may know the truth, you may know message in your life, but all you really have is connection with people. You're a syncretist, you're liberal, you're, you're one with the world systems. What does God want? He, he wants us... He wants us to not fear the world and not fear sin. He wants us, instead, He wants us to fear God and follow His mission in His power in this world. Listen to what Jesus has to say on this. We hit it every, every month or two. John 17, starting verse 15. And this is Jesus talking to His dad before He goes to the cross. And He says, I do not ask you, I do not ask that you take them out of the world but that you keep them from the evil one. They're not of the world, just as I'm not of the world. Sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified in truth. Jesus wants us right smack in the middle of the world, in the middle of the human condition, to, to both proclaim the good news, and to be the good news. You can't, you can't really be the good news unless you understand the good news, but you, can't, you don't really understand the good news unless you're being the good news and living it out, an incarnational living, being the hands and feet of Christ as well as being the mouthpiece of Jesus Christ. He wants us to be both of them. So as a result of this, as a result of this thing and, and, and raising, raising a family without a moral compass this, going to this other extreme of separatism, there is another conundrum that takes place. It takes place in the heart of his daughters. 31. Um, and the firstborn said to the younger, Our father's old, and there's not a man on earth to come in to us after the manner of all the earth. Come, let us make our father drink wine and we will lie with him that we may preserve offspring from our father. So they made their father drink wine that night. And the firstborn went in and lay with her father. He did not know when she lay down or when she arose. The next day the firstborn said to the younger, Behold, I lay last night with my father. Let us make him drink wine tonight also. Then you go in and lie with him that we may preserve offspring from our father. So they made their father drink wine that night. That night also. And the younger arose and lay with him. And he did not know when she lay down or when she arose. Whew. This is rough, you guys. Can you imagine? Can you imagine what kind of a life these daughters had up to this point to where they thought... Our only answer is to have sex with dad. Can you imagine that? I mean, it's bad enough. And, and there are some in here, some listening that, 
that you've had the other way around of abuse from a father or from a sibling or from an uncle or cousin. You've been sexually abused. But can you imagine your moral compass being that off to where you're like, okay, this is, this is our only way? They, these daughters, they had great fear for their future. And, and, and in, the, in those days, when you were a people in a people group, I mean, if you didn't have offspring, you, you died off. And that was one of the main ways that you, you destroyed your enemies and you took over their land is, is you didn't let anybody live. You took out everybody to where there was no more bloodline. And so, and these are, you know, Lot, he's outside of the Abrahamic blessing. He's, he, he had gone a different way than, than Abraham. Um, but still, it's, it's their father. And they're like, okay, the only way. We don't have our, our, our fiancés, so to speak, I mean, who we were betrothed to, those sons-in-law, according to their culture back then, they're gone. And God, Dad's not letting us get near any other men. The only way that we can actually have a future is with Dad. You know, I think if, if you and I had been one of those daughters, I think we'd been pretty confused too as well. Here is a dad that mere hours before, well, we don't know, we don't know exactly when this is, um, but before when they left, when they, before they left from Sodom and Gomorrah, before the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah, their dad in front of them told the mob of the, of the, the men, all the men and the boys of, of the city, people all over, all these males were there demanding that, the, that Jesus and the angels be given to them for them to have gang rape. And their dad, their dad said, look guys, look, tell you what, give me, you know, leave these guys alone and I'll give you my two virgin daughters. How's that for a trade, fellas? You guys, I've got three boys and i got my baby girl. She just turned six. And I'll tell you what. It doesn't matter who ever comes to my door demanding whatever, no matter what kind of a weapon they've got, they're not getting my baby girl. They're not getting my wife. They're not going to get my boys either. I will die before I would let that kind of harm take place. Now, am I some kind of a hero in saying that? No. I think I'm just a, a, a normal man. I don't think you have to be a Christian to feel that way. And, and I, I do want to, to, to inject this into all you, all you boys, all you, all you men, young men, is you better know that God calls you to provide and to protect the family that God gives you that maybe you already have or that you will have someday. And you better not ever, ever compromise and let people destroy, violate your family. You better do whatever is necessary including giving up your life to protect your family. But can you imagine? Can you imagine the hearts of these daughters to where they're just like, man, who can I really trust? And what, you know, how do I, how do we really provide for ourselves? They were 
They're mixed up. They're messed up. And they, they wrap their identity into their, into their future. They wrap their identity into their circumstance to where they're like, we, we must do something. And, and, and I, don't know if they, I don't know if they fully understood, but I, I, would, I would venture to say that they knew it was wrong. They knew it was going to be just a horrible sacrifice that they were going to make too. And I'm not excusing them. This is, it's just wicked what they were doing, particularly getting, getting their dad drunk and doing it the way that they did this. It's horrible. But I bet they, they, they knew it. But, but they were willing to compromise for their agenda and for their future because they had no hope of dad or God coming in to save and to rescue them. Even though Dad wasn't rescuing them before, but God had just rescued them. You know what that sounds like? That sounds like me. And it sounds like us. Because, man, if, if we could just start writing all the ways that God has come and He's rescued us. But you know what happens? When things get tough and tight, and it looks like the, the thing that, that we attach our most, uh, most of our identity to outside of Jesus, of wh- who we are and what people think of us and what we do for a living and how educated we are and how we appear to, appear to the world. But when we tie ourselves too much to those things and, and we don't see, at least from our perspective, God moving to make it happen, that we'll shove aside those memories and we basically will stiff-arm God and just say, God, you're too slow. I can't wait for you any longer. I'm compromised. Sometimes we know. It's like, alright, this is a compromise. It's, but it's going to be worth it. It's going to be worth it because I'm going to get that child. You know, that's what the daughter's thinking. I'm going to get that child. It's going gonna, it's gonna to happen. We'll talk about those children in just a minute and what kind of a gift that they got. They were conniving, pulled foolish lot into it. And, and by the way, I mean, it's, you know, I'm... I, he can be partially excused because it, the Bible's clearly saying he did not know what was going on during this incest. He did not know he was that drunk. And, and to, to where that the daughters knew the only way that this could happen is we're going to have to get him, I mean, sloppier drunk than he's ever been. They, they knew that. They knew that that's the only way it was going to happen. And so there's, there's a partial excuse that he did not know, but not a full excuse. He's not excused for this. Did you know what he did? He got drunk. Let's talk about beverage alcohol and drunkenness for a few minutes. Very relevant. We, uh, we are Sojourn Church. We meet in a brewery. You guys are here. You smell the hops. You know? Smell things cooking and per- hear things percolating at, at times. I love the environment. It's a great environment. But I, I'm, I'm here to tell you something. First of all, is Sojourn Church, our identity is not attached to the brewery, nor is it attached to beer. Even though people in Huntsville think, know of us as the beer church. Um, some of you have heard that. But that is not who we are. This is a season, and I, and I love this season. It's great. We, we love it, love all the things we're able to proclaim about Jesus and redemption as a result of meeting here. But we won't meet here forever. Our identity is not attached to beer 
or to the brewery. And there's some who have come into sojourn and through the freedom of being of age, and if you're, if you're not 21 or above, then it's illegal and, and quite immoral as a result of that for, for you to, to, to imbibe. But, uh, but for those of you who are 21 and above, and those of you, you, you know the freedom and you have engaged your freedom in drinking beverage alcohol, some of you have done it in a very righteous way. And, and I, I'm here to say, if you're going to drink if you're going to drink beer and you can't drink it, raise it to God and say, God, I, I do this as worship and I want to drink this a, a, to your glory. And if you can't do that or can't even conceive of that, then don't do it at all. For some of you, what you've done is this freedom you have, and for some it would be a newfound freedom because you were raised maybe in a family that said, we don't ever drink. We're teetotalers. It's only the scum of the earth that drink alcohol. Or for some of you, it's just that you were raised in a church that believed those same things. And man, you're no longer under the legalism of those, of those rules. And man, you're going nuts. And some of y'all, you've, you're getting drunk too. What you're doing is you're taking the gift of God and you're mocking God with it. That's what sin is. When we take His gifts, we warp it, we twist it, we do it in a way He did not design, and God does not get any glory from that. It just brings destruction to you and to others. And I'm, I mean, I mean, many of you know, I, mean, I, I, I enjoy trying new beers, but, but you know what? There's, there are times in which God will say, Dave, don't drink. I mean, there's, I mean most days, actually, I don't, I don't drink. Um, if you're at a place in your life that you're like, the only way I can, I need to prove my freedom in Jesus Christ by drinking, and everywhere I go in public, I need to have a drink, or for me to, to show to my lost friends that, that Jesus is cool or hip, I need to make sure I have a drink in my hand, you're missing it. You're watering down the power of the gospel. And stop it. Some of you, you're such a jerk. You've got friends that they're alcoholics or friends that, man, they just, they just, they're just very deeply convicted and offended by it and you just put it right in their face. Just watch my freedom. You're a jerk. You need to repent. 